So Mark chapter 14 and verse 1. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Well, good morning there. It's nice to see you again. Um, Let's start by praying together for God's help. Open our eyes, Father God, and by your Holy Spirit, let us see your Son clearly. Let us hear him, trust him, and obey him. Amen. We're starting a series um, this week in Mark's Gospel in the run-up to Easter. And just as an aside before we begin, how about I say to you that in that run-up to Easter, You take some time to read through Mark's gospel, maybe even read through it a couple of times. It's as good a place as any to sit and camp in your Bible reading. I've been listening to it in my car. I have it on CD, a bit old-fashioned, on my way to work. Um, But if you read through it, you will not be disappointed, I promise you that. We're starting our series today in chapter 14 of Mark's gospel. Now, Jesus, by now, is on his way to Jerusalem where as he's predicted three times, he's going to die. He's going to be delivered over to the religious authorities who are going to condemn him. They're going to hand him over to the Romans who will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and then crucify him. He will die and be buried. But three days later, he will be gloriously raised to life and seen by many people. Our passage today is the last stop before Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And at the heart of the passage today, there is a question. The question is never formally stated, but it is there, begging, demanding to be answered. And the question is this, what value do we place on Jesus? And where does that decision lead us? I'll say that again. What value do we place on Jesus? And where does that decision lead us? You're going to see in our passage today two sets of characters. Mark, the author, is very clever like that. He often writes and wraps one story, one set of characters around each other to provide a contrast. You're going to see in our passage today the characters at the start and the finish of our passage are contrasted with a character in the middle. And the contrast is seen 
between these characters and what value they place on Jesus and where that decision ultimately leads them. You're going to see how these characters value Jesus very clearly in terms of their money or their possessions. And you're going to see where that valuation of him leads them. And by them, by these characters, the question is asked of us, the readers. What value do we place on Jesus? And where does that decision lead us? It's a question we all must answer as individuals, but also together as a church, as a society, as a nation. We can't avoid it. You see, how you value Jesus, it sets the tone of your entire life, of everything in it, both now and in eternity. It's important. It's something that we need to get right, something of extreme value and importance. Let's start in our passage at the beginning, at, chapters, sorry, at chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. Now, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. It's two days before Passover. Passover was a festival in which all the people who believed in the Lord would gather together in Jerusalem to celebrate God's deliverance from them in slavery all those years ago. It was a time of rejoicing, a time of celebration, a festival. People from all over the ancient world would come to Jerusalem to be unified together, to celebrate God's goodness to them. And it's here we see the first characters in this chapter And we see how they value Jesus. And it's a surprise. It's the chief priests and the teachers of the law. These were the religious elites of the time. You might say the vicars, the bishops over God's people. They were the Bible experts, the people who wrote the commentaries on the scriptures. And we've met them before in Mark's gospel many times. These authorities have heard Jesus preach. They've seen him do miracles that only God could do. They've interrogated him. They've asked him questions. They've examined him closely. And surely you'd think these be the very people who'd be the first to place a very high value on Jesus, wouldn't they? Surely they're the ones who'd recognize that he's God's anointed one, the Messiah, the one promised throughout the whole of the Old Testament. But if you thought that, you'd be wrong you'd be very wrong. Well, you say, maybe not, but maybe they, at the very least, they should be gearing up and preparing for the most important Jewish festival of the year, the Passover. But if you thought that also, you'd be wrong. Instead, what is it that preoccupies them from the moment they get up in the morning to the time when they lay down their head on the pillow at night? And it's this, it's how they might grab Jesus by stealth and kill him. Murder is on their minds from dawn to dusk. They clearly don't value Jesus at all, do they? And look where that decision leads them. They cannot tolerate him. They can't peacefully coexist with him. He's a threat to them. They hate him. And their valuation of him leads naturally to their course of action. They want to kill him. But they've got a problem. 
Look at verse 2. Not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. You see, Jerusalem at this time would be packed with visitors, with pilgrims for the feast. And those very people have heard a lot about Jesus, and they want, they're eager to found out, find out more. Jesus is the talk of the town at the time. So grabbing Jesus openly and murdering him, it simply will not do. The crowd will riot. And at this time, Judea was under occupation by the Roman Empire. We know from the gospel accounts and from history that the man who was governor, a man called Pontius Pilate, he did not tolerate riots. There was no softly, softly approach with Pontius Pilate. If there's a riot here in Jerusalem, the troops will be sent in. They won't be carrying rubber swords. No, there'll be bloodshed. Much bloodshed and many people will be left dead. And who will the finger be pointed at? Who will the blame go to for this riot? Well, it will be to the religious leaders. You see, what these religious leaders value most is their position of power, authority, their respect. And Jesus himself is a threat to that. But killing Jesus openly and causing a riot, well, it's a threat to that also because they've got to keep their Roman masters happy. They need another way. By the end of our passage today, in verses 10 and 11, we can see clearly that Judas Iscariot provides this way for them, and it is music to their ears. Look at verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them, and they were delighted to hear this. They promised to give him silver. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Judas, one of the 12 disciples, one who had spent three years with Jesus, who'd seen everything Jesus had done. He'd heard everything Jesus had said and preached. Someone who Jesus had looked after. Someone he'd fed and taught, protected. Well, what value does Judas place on Jesus? And where does this decision lead him? Well, Mark here has placed Judas in the same category as the murderous religious leaders. He groups them together. Remember in our first verses, we saw that the the religious authorities were looking for a way to get rid of Jesus. Well, by here in verse 11, Judas is looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus, to hand him over. In the Greek, it's the very same language. They're one and the same. Neither the religious authorities or Judas seem to value a living Jesus at all, do they? Where does that valuation lead them? They want him dead. But even in this sordid plot to kill Jesus, their sad valuation of a dead Jesus is seen. Even in portraying and killing Jesus, the price seems paltry, doesn't it? Silver, not gold, is the handsome price the Lord Jesus is valued at by them. How wicked. How terribly, terribly wicked. I say to you here today, those who are listening, whether you believe in Jesus or not, what value do you place on Jesus? 
like the religious authorities in Judas, is Jesus a threat to you, to your situation, to your way of life? Do you value anything else above him? Maybe it's a house or a car or a job. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your standing in your workplace, your community, or even in the church. It might might not seem like it, but there's no middle ground here. There's no neutrality with Jesus. He's either infinitely precious to us or not valuable at all. And if we don't value him, it's because we've placed something above him, an idol. And that leads us eventually to the same attitude we see here from the religious leaders and Judas. We want Jesus out of the way. We want to kill him, to shut him up. Yes, we might do it in a quiet way, to save face, to keep our standing. But the end result is just the same. We sell the one of infinite worth for a paltry sum in return. I feel sad even saying these words. But there's a great and sober warning in this passage, a great and sober warning of the dangers of not valuing Jesus and where that path must and always eventually leads. The desire to put Jesus to death in our lives, to shut him up, to trade him in for something cheap. But it's a path that eventually leads to our ruin, our eternal ruin under God's eternal judgment for rejecting his son. I don't know about you, but what I've just preached hits close to home for me. Perhaps too close. We're sinful people, aren't we? We desperately need a saviour. Stay with me in the passage. There's good news ahead. Remember I told you that Mark often wraps his stories or characters around each other to provide a contrast or to make a point. Well, let's have a look in the middle of our passage now. Verse 3. While he, that's Jesus, was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Jesus himself is in a small village called Bethany, a place not far from Jerusalem, in the house of a man called Simon the leper. We don't know much about this Simon, whether he had leprosy at the time or before and was cured. But either way, Jesus is in his house, reclining, probably sharing a meal with him. And meals in those days weren't a formal table like we had. Usually you laid on couches and there'd be a table in the middle sharing the food. And while all this is going on in this scene, it's interrupted by a lady carrying an alabaster vase or jar. And we're told what's in this jar is extremely valuable. It's anointing oil or perfume, something called nard. But more than that, it's the 24-carat version of this. It's of extreme value. We're told how expensive it is later down in verse 5, over a year's salary. Very expensive. This anointing oil is probably the most valuable thing this lady has. Maybe it's an heirloom passed down in the family from one generation to another. We simply don't know, but it is extremely costly. But what does she do? She breaks the jar and she pours it over Jesus' head. Just imagine the scene. You can imagine the gasps, 
Just put yourself there, what that would look like. And we see that everyone in the room was not happy. Verse 4. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? Could have been sold for more than a year's wage and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. What value does this lady place on Jesus? Well, she seems to value him highly, doesn't she? Very highly. More than anything in her life. More than even the poor around her. And where does that decision lead this lady? Well, it leads her to joyfully live for Jesus and his mission. It leads her to joyfully live for Jesus and his mission. Let's get something clear right away. This lady is not buying Jesus. This is not a trade for Jesus' favour. It's not like she trades her best possession to get him. No, not at all. And why, you say, why does she value him so highly? Why has she done what she did? Well, let Jesus answer that question. Look at verse 8. She has done a beautiful thing for me. She has anointed my body for burial. This woman knows that Jesus is going to die. But more than that, she knows in some way that that death is for her. Maybe she's heard something Jesus has said or preached. Maybe she understands from the scriptures, from places like Isaiah chapter 53, that the anointed one, the Messiah, he's going to die for the sins of God's people. She grasps the infinite value of the Lord Jesus, who he is. She believes. She believes that he's come to die for people like her. A death she could never afford or deserve with even a thousand jars of such perfume. She grasps that Jesus is infinitely valued, but that God himself has offered him to people like her freely, his only beloved son. You see, Jesus himself in Mark chapter 10 had said that he had not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For me, she says. That's for me. He's my ransom. He's come to serve me, to die for my sins. She grasps this. And she makes a true and accurate valuation of who he is and what he's about to do for sinful men and women like her by going to the cross. And where does that valuation lead her? Where does that decision lead her? Well, she wants to do anything she can, doesn't she? To help Jesus in his mission. It's her honour, her joy to do this. And what an honour is bestowed on this woman. Just look now. You see, anointing the head with oil in the Bible is something a king received when he was either promised the throne or when he came to the throne. It's what happened to King David in the Old Testament. He was anointed with oil. By anointing Jesus, this lady, who we're not even told what her name is, but we are told that she recognises him as king. He's God's king over God's people, over God's world. 
the Lord himself in the form of a man. But this king was not like any other human king. This king was going to go and suffer a cursed death on behalf of his people, to save his people, people like her. And just think about it. She gets to anoint him. She gets to anoint the anointed one, the Messiah. What an honor. And who wouldn't want to give their best for such a king? What value do you place on Jesus? Surely he's infinitely valuable to you, isn't he? And where does that lead you? Surely you want to live for him. You want to joyfully participate for Jesus in his mission in any way you can. Christian, he's your king. He's your Messiah. The one who's paid for your sins. The one who's paid your death penalty. The one who's taken your curse by his death. He's your ransom for your acts of wickedness, your suffering servant by which you're accepted by the Father. He's the one who's baptized you with his Holy Spirit. The one who saves you with a costly salvation that you could never earn in a thousand lifetimes. But he saves you freely at great cost to himself. Surely you want to serve him, don't you? Serve him joyfully with your best. Surely it's a great honor he's bestowed upon us to joyfully take part in his mission, to take his message of salvation to the ends of the earth. But there's more. Just look down now. Look how Jesus responds to a person who truly values him. Remember those people who were incensed at this lady after she anointed him. Look what he says to them in verse 6. Leave her alone. Why do you bring trouble to her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. You see, if you value Jesus, if you're trusting him now, he does the same for you here today. He defends you every moment of every day. Even now, he pleads your case before the throne of God in heaven. Any accusation towards you, be it from Satan, from men, anyone, because of your sin, because of your weakness or your flaws, because of your service to Jesus. He defends you in that. To the person at work who sneers and grumbles at you for your service to Christ, be that service to him great or small. Jesus, his word is beyond all contestation. Leave this one alone. Why are you bothering this one? I've died for them. Their service is for me. My judgment on this matter is final. Look again though. Jesus acknowledges this woman's service towards her. And he does the same to us. She's done a beautiful thing to me, he says. The poor you will always have with you. and You can help them at any time you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She did what she could. This lady had done a good work for Jesus and he acknowledges this. It's the same for us as we serve him. He knows what we have. He knows what we can do, be it great or small. And if that service is done with the heart for Jesus, out of love, he values it. He acknowledges it. And lastly, with this lady and for us, he promises that their deeds will not be forgotten, but rewarded 
Look at verse 9 about what Jesus says about this lady. Truly I tell you, wherever, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. It seems a bit odd as I preach this today, knowing that by preaching this, this prophecy is, is partly being fulfilled by, by this preach, which is a bit unusual. It feels a bit odd. But it's the case. What this woman has done was recorded in Mark's gospel and in Matthew's gospel. It's been recited, it's been read, it's been preached on thousands and thousands of times down the ages. This woman's deed, deeds were not forgotten by Jesus. And it's the same for our deeds and our service to him also. How we participate in Jesus' mission will not be forgotten. He sees and he will reward us at the end of our days. You see, our labor in the Lord is never in vain. Whatever it is, something big or something small, he sees. He sees, Christian, your service to him. And he will reward you. He will reward you when you see him face to face, whether either he returns or we fall asleep in the meantime. What value do you place on Jesus? Where does that decision lead you? What does this look like on a Monday morning? I hope that today you've seen how valuable, how infinitely valuable the Lord Jesus Christ truly is and that he's offered to you today freely, whether you've known him for years or whether you've heard about him for the first time. He's offered to you freely. I urge you make a true valuation of Jesus today and trust him. Grasp how valuable he is and relish your relationship with him. Spend time with him. Get to know him better. Why not set some time aside every day to listen or to read Mark's gospel, to see Jesus presented to you on the pages of scripture? Set some time aside to pray to him in the morning, in the lunchtime, in the evening. And be singing to him in church, in your car, on your way to work, even in your shower. Glory in Jesus. Come to meet with God's people on a Sunday and midweek. I know we can't do that at the moment, but in the future it will be possible. You see, he's infinitely valuable and he's yours. Why don't you serve him joyfully in his mission with what you have? Yes, wisely. But if you love Jesus, don't be afraid of giving him your best perfume or anointing oil. Be it your time, your money, your priorities, your possessions, your work. Maybe it's like Chris was preaching last week. It's in reviewing your giving to the local church. Maybe it's taking some time this week, meeting with another Christian and praying for them. Maybe you offer your car, your house for service in Jesus' mission. Maybe it's even coming and sweeping the car park in the church or in the church building. Maybe it's in sharing Christ with a colleague at work or over Zoom. But what an honour we have and a joy it should be to serve Jesus and his mission. Let's truly be like this woman in this passage and truly value the Lord Jesus Christ and joyfully live for him and his purposes. May the Father himself give us grace to do this and to honour his Son in this way by the powerful, almighty Holy Spirit. Amen.